Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 21. We'll have it on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And it's on the screen there. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right there, we could wrap up marriage in that sentence. To submit to one another out of reverence or honor for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, before husbands get too excited. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So you see two things going on. You see submission in everything, and you see love until death. That's how Jesus loved the church, did he not? He died for her. And so before guys get too fired up about the submission issue, they need to understand they have to die. Amen? So it's kind of a trade-off. It's funny how people will camp out on something and isogeed and isolate a text to meet their whims, but the Lord makes it quite clear here through the Apostle Paul that it is both and, and it can be summed up back to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, moving along, verse 26, this is what he did to make her holy. He died for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church a radiant bride you can interchange that without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies for he who loves his wife loves himself after all no one ever hated his own body but he feeds and cares for it just as christ does the church for we are members of his body For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Leave and cleave. Okay? Someone say, leave and cleave. That's what we do. We leave mama, and we cleave to our wife. Amen? Some men need to understand, we leave mama. Amen? So we can cleave. All right. Just wanted to clarify. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery. Amen. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Therefore, and that is where we get the title for this series, Love and Respect. You've got to understand something, that what she needs is love, and what he needs is respect. Not just wants, but needs. And we're going to talk about this crazy cycle that we go through and how this works together, because it's important for you to understand. And before we do that, I want to kind of bring you up to speed on my story. The first Sunday that we met together on this series, I told you about myself after 10 years of marriage going through a divorce. It was devastating. I was a pastor of a church, not a senior pastor, but I was on staff as an associate. Had been at that church four years, loved that church. They loved me. It was a great situation, and I literally could see myself being there for a very long time. I was in my last year at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Say that fast, three times in a row if you can. And I was, I was loving life. Things were going great. I, I had poured myself into a community, into this church, into this situation, and things were going great, so I thought. And then I found out that my wife was having an ongoing affair with her boss. And my whole world came unglued. Now, here's the thing. Because I am a follower of Jesus that when I found out that my wife was having an affair, my first reaction was not to quit. My first reaction was not to leave. My first reaction wasn't to go beat him up. I couldn't have anyway. He played football at Texas Tech University. He was huge. (laughs) But I wasn't going to go do something crazy like stab his tires or cut his brake lines or do something weird. My first reaction was, Lord, what do you want me to do? My second reaction was to pick up my phone and call my senior pastor. 
and then call a meeting of, now in my tradition, we didn't have elders. We had them functionally, but we didn't name them. But we had deacons. And so I had my pastor call the deacons together, and we met within hours. And I poured my heart out to him. I said, here's what's going on. Here's my situation. Long story short, two weeks later, I came home from church, and nearly everything was gone out of the house. She had left and taken everything and left a piece of notebook paper with a list of the bills that I would be responsible for. And it was over. It was done. Sixty days later, I received a a waiver of citation document in the mail that basically said, if you sign this, it means you agree to everything, and, and then it's done. And she had called me and said, would you please sign that? And I said, could we please go for counseling? Could we please get help? Could we please? We're both Christians. We're, we're followers of Jesus. We're on staff at a church. People are watching us. I mean, people are looking at our life. Her response was, I know your relationship with Jesus. You will be fine. But I have to do this. And she did. And then my life went into a really weird place. And there are people here that have gone through that. And, and we, we actually have, have led a, a, a life group dealing with, with this very issue. And I've heard story after story. And although the, all the parameters of the story may be different in the details, but at the end of the day, the dynamic is the same, is that you suffer betrayal and rejection at a level that's almost impossible to comprehend unless you've been through it. And if you haven't been through it, be careful. Do not judge those who have. I never would have dreamed in a million years that I would be one of those. I would be a statistic. A statistic which, at this point in our time, is about and approximately anywhere from the high 40s to 50%, all marriages, including Christian marriages in the church, will end in divorce. In fact, the statistic tells us this, that for second marriages, the stats go higher, that 67% of those who remarry will end in divorce. And for the third time, if you're, if you're going for the third out, the third strike, 74% will end up in divorce in their third marriage. 66% of couples that divorce are childless, and that is a big issue in the marriage situation. I ended up moving to Kansas. I'd never been to Kansas in my life. But I found myself untethered, ungrounded, lost in a very real sense, but yet still trying to hang on to the things of God. It was like, I'm not letting go. I felt like Jacob at the river Jabbok who was hanging on saying, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. But let me tell you, everything in me screamed, let go. And I ended up, a friend of mine was, was starting a new church plant in, in, um, in Kansas City on the Kansas side. And so I, I grabbed up everything I had, which was not much. And a friend of mine let me borrow his pickup in a flatbed trailer. And everything I owned after everything was said and done, I could put on that trailer. And I moved up to Kansas City. Now, here's the thing. Because I was a Christian, I didn't realize it was okay to grieve. I didn't understand that it was okay to be angry because I was a Christian. And I didn't understand that it was okay to be sad because I'm a Christian. And God is good all the time. And I didn't understand that, that I was about to step into the grief process at a level I would have never believed. And so I end up in Kansas. I'm helping Scott plan a new church. I'm helping with youth. I'm leading worship. I'm staying busy. And I'm sitting in my little apartment one night and it dawns on me I'm single. And I'm alone. And I don't know anybody in Kansas but Scott and Sharon. And as I'm sitting there, tears start going down my face. And I'm like, whoa, where'd that? Is, they were coming automatic. It's as though someone had turned on my tear ducts without letting my, letting my mind know it was happening. I was unaware and I found myself crying and I literally melted in that moment. And all of a sudden, the reality of what I'd just gone through came crashing in on me in one moment. And I had one of the darkest nights of my life. The Desert Fathers and the monastics and the contemplatives 
of the old time, that what they call the desert fathers, call it the dark night of the soul. I had a dark night of the soul. And all of a sudden, all the questions I didn't even allow myself to entertain, like I'm a failure, what's wrong with me? See, I didn't allow myself to deal with that the first few months. I had to finish that last semester of seminary. I had to finish my responsibilities at the church. Who that church, by the way, voted, they did a vote of confidence, which we did in my tradition, and they voted, they wanted me to stay. They were like, no, we, we believe that what's happened is you've been faithful, you've had integrity, and, and that very conservative church saw what was going and said, no, we want you to stay, but I knew I couldn't heal. So I'm there, and all the questions, all the doubts, all the, all the things started to hit me at one time, and I literally just went through the most horrendous night moment of grief and I know it doesn't touch anything of what Jesus went through on the cross, but I felt at that moment that everything, everything was gone. I got up the next morning and I did what any self-respecting 30-year-old divorcee would do. I called my granny. Because <laughs> I knew that was one person that would never reject me. That was one person that was at all my football games, basketball games, tennis tournaments. I mean, she'd been there through everything. She'd watched her own boys go through things and watched, watched her own daughter, my mom, go through divorce. She, she had been there through it all, and that was the one stable individual in the whole bunch. And I called Granny. I said, Granny, I'm in Kansas. Can I come live with you? She was living in Lubbock in an efficiency apartment. Elderly. I loaded up my Hyundai, because that's what I had at the time. Prayed over it before I got on the road that it would make the trip. <laughs> and loaded up anything I could get in my car. I told Scott and Sharon, I said, I love you guys, but I've got to go heal. And I realized all I did in getting right back into ministry was just get busy. But I'm not healed. So I drove to Lubbock. Weirdest trip of my life. I'm driving into Lubbock, feeling like failure of the century. And I get back to Lubbock, and my grandmother's waiting there, and my family's waiting there, and they're all amazing, and they throw a big barbecue, because that's what my family does when we're grieving. We eat. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so we cook out, and I'm there, and all I've been trying to do for years is witness to my family who did not know Jesus. And here I am, the pastor, the failure coming in. I felt like I crawled into that backyard. And all my family was there. You know what they did? They loved me, hugged me, talked to me. And I was just numb the whole time. And we sat down to eat. And throughout this whole process, I had never thought in terms of me being disappointed with God or angry or anything. But let me tell you, folks, can I be real with you? I'm going to anyway. Treat you like family. Here's what happened. I had been sort of like the, my family was kind of like the mafia and I was the priest of the family. Like I was the only Christian and I was in ministry. So every time we got together, though they would never do this on their own, but when I was present, they would ask me to bless the food. You have a family like that? It's always an awkward moment. You know what I mean? It's just that I'd rather they just didn't. It'd be like, let's just eat, you know. And, uh, but they always made a big production out of it. You know, Grant, it was real awkward. I mean, all of them were just like, they didn't know what to do, you know, with the hands and, you know. I mean, to see my 40-year-old uncles doing this, you know, still hung over from the night before in the honky-tonk. You know. and, and so it was always a comical moment, and I'd be like, Granny, don't, really, don't. It's okay, it's okay. She, well, she got everybody's attention. Jimmy Dale, that's the, only my granny could call me that, by the way. Jimmy Dale, and you got to say it right, it's Dale, it's two syllables. Jimmy Dale is going to pray for the food. And I just sat there, and it was just quiet. And I said, no, I'm not. I made an announcement. This, all, this came out so quick, I couldn't catch it. Have you, ever, have you ever said anything you regretted? No. No, nobody here. It came out before I could catch it and before my mind even heard it. Before it even hit me what I was saying, I said, when Granny said, Jimmy, I was going to pray for the food. Everybody be quiet now. Everybody bow your heads. You know, she's setting it all up. She's being respectful. 
And I said, no, I'm not. I'm mad at God right now. And I reached over and grabbed me a corn on the cob. <laughs> I started making my plate. And I mean literally my family. And listen, my family, even though they didn't love God, they feared God. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and when I did, I mean, I, I, I never asked them what they were thinking. Now, most of them now have really come full circle in their walk with God. And we've seen some really beautiful things over the years. But mo- at the time, they had to be thinking, lightning is about to strike. The earth is about to open up and swallow us all. But yeah, they thought I just cursed God. And as I'm sitting there eating and thinking about what just came out of my mouth, it begins to register. And it made me realize I really was mad at God. I was disappointed. I was hurt. And I had not been able for months to even admit that. And that began my healing process when I was finally able to be honest. Can I say something to you real honest? No matter how you feel towards God right now, wherever you are at in your situation, I want you to know something. He's got big shoulders. I want you to know something. He can handle it. He created Australia. He can handle your grief. He can handle your disappointment. He can handle your anger. He can handle your questions. He can handle your confusion. He can handle anything you bring to him because he's big. And we're not. But let me tell you something. The earth did not open up and swallow my family. We did not have a repeat of the Exodus incident. All I did was think and process as everybody else is eating and the night went on as... That's the first time I've been able to admit I was actually angry with God. Now what am I going to do with that? And that began my healing. Some of you are at a place in your life where things have been broken. And it may not be a divorce. It could be anything. But for whatever reason, dreams haven't panned out like you thought they would. Things are not going the way you expected them to go. And you find yourself disappointed. Let me tell you, the first step The first step is for you to admit it and to be honest with God. I'm not saying go on Facebook and admit it or Twitter and admit it. I'm saying you go in your secret place. You go in your car, your shower, wherever you pray. And you get along with God and you say, God, I'm disappointed. And let me tell you something, the sky will not collapse, the shower will not fall, the, the water will not go instantly hot on you. If you're driving, you'll not have a car wreck. What will happen is, is you'll experience the love of God that's unconditional. And you'll experience this, this sense that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Because He loves you so much. Well, that began my process. And I latched hold of a verse, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. And I understood that God had a future and a hope for me. And when I grabbed hold of that verse, I was like Jacob and I would not let go. So fast forward. All right. I go through some healing. Now, I'm just going to tell you some really stupid stuff. Okay? can I can I be stupid for you? Can I bust your bubble about how perfect pastors are and how we have it all together? Sorry to disappoint down here. I then went into a phase where I was just going to show God how mad I was. Oh, yeah. So I, at this time, it's obvious I'm not now, but at the time I was working out a lot. I was pumping iron. I was Because I, I had no life. you got to understand. I worked, and then I went to the gym for six nights a week, and then I took one day off sometimes. And then I worked and went to the gym six nights a week. At the time, I was attending church with my brother. But I was just in a weird place. And I had some friends of mine at the gym, a bunch of big meathead guys that I worked out with, who said, hey, man, there's happy hour at this club. Why don't you come with us? So I went with them. I thought, yeah, I'll show God. Now, here you got to understand something. I didn't think that consciously. But with my actions, I, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, God, you, you really took care of me. Well, I gave you years of my life, went to school, went to grad school, all for the ministry, and this is what I get. Now, I didn't think that consciously. 
But under the surface, that was going on. Is it okay to be this real in church? Should we move this to another format? We could move down to the other end of the building, not be in the sanctuary. But I'm just going to be real straight with you what I did, what happened. And so for three weeks, I went to the nightclubs with those guys. Boy, I got out on the, on the dance floor. Woo! I, pull, I, I got my moves on. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, man. We were, we were rocking in the early 90s. I'm telling you. A couple of those songs I remember dancing to. I'm like, hey, woohoo. Swagger. So let me tell you what happened. For three weeks, I went to the clubs with these guys. You know what would happen to me? Single guy thinking I'm trying to be all 18 again at 30. And I would be there talking to a girl. You know what happened? I'd start ministering. I'm serious. I could not help it. I would end up. In a club, started to leak out this Jesus. It's like I could not hide him. I couldn't suppress him. I couldn't hold the Holy Spirit back. I could not even fake my way through a night without leaking out something of Jesus. I'm just being straight with you guys. And if this causes you to leave the church, I'm sorry. I just want you to know most of us here are jacked up. We're in recovery. But we, we got issues. I, if you don't, then you may need to go down the road. But I'm just saying, real sweet, like, we really have problems here. We're working on it. God's working on it. Amen? Y'all with me? All right, most of you are. I lost a few, but that's okay. I'm just being straight. So at the end of three weeks, I'm like, this is ridiculous. First of all, I'm having no fun. I'm miserable. So I sort of just give in to God. I just cave. I'm like... I'm going back to church. And I laid in my room one night with my Bible open to Jeremiah 29, 11, listening to For Him. Anybody remember For Him? <laughs> listening to For Him and a song called He Never Changes. And I had a moment with God where it was literally as though God restored me to fullness like that. I mean, all the stuff I'd done during those few weeks, all the just frustration, anger with God... Everything literally was gone, and it was like I was literally restored to, like, new condition. That's how much God loves us. And in that moment, it was like, I'm never going back. So I show up at the gym, still going to the gym. The guys, they think I'm cool. I'm hanging out with them, going to clubs. And I show up at the gym, and I'm like, all right, I got an announcement to make. And I bring these four guys together. And I'm looking at them. I'm like, every one of you guys. For three weeks, I've gone with you. Now, this weekend, you're going with me. And they're like, hell, where are we going? I said, we're going to church. (laughs) Right there. Right there in the gym. I'm like, you're going to church with me. I mean, the look on their faces has been like I just went, schwack. They're like, okay. I said, you have to. Because I went with you. You've got to go with me. That's the deal. They're like, okay. I'm like, all right, I'm picking you up at this time. Or you're meeting me here at this time. And I literally, I grab these guys, I mean, literally like, like little kids, and I'll make them go to church with me. Where are we going to go? Well, it turns out a good friend of mine was pastoring a church, and he had really helped, really spent some time with me in, in trying to restore my heart and minister. His name was John Randalls in Lubbock, Texas, and he pastored a church called Indiana Avenue Baptist Church. It was a church that had grown from like a couple of hundred to a couple of thousand. I mean, God had really used John to do a great work, and this church was really moving and happening. And so I thought, we're going to go to that church, we'll go to John's church. And so I told the guys what time to meet me, and we met, and we were going to, go to, going to go to the single Sunday school class, which at the time, there were about 100 people in there. It was a big class. And so we go into this class, and it is hysterical. I'm walking in with a bunch of bodybuilders into a singles class of 100 people. And every eye in the place turned, because it's an awkward moment. First of all, they all look awkward dressed up. I mean, these guys are gym rats. All they do is work out and work. And so they're all in trying to be, you know, they just walk in. And I mean, literally, it's hysterical. And I'm walking in and I'm just like, oh, I'm home. I mean, I'm literally the peace of God. And I'm like, isn't this awesome? Isn't this great? And they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> and we sit down and, and the Sunday school class starts. And I'm just like, oh, it feels good to be back. And I said, Lord, I'm not looking for a girl. I'm not here 
for women. I'm not here for anything but to grow closer to you. And I made a commitment to God during that week, even before I got there, that, Lord, it's me and you. And I made a commitment to the Lord. I said, I'll never date again. (laughs) I didn't say I wouldn't get married. I said, I will never date again. I will never play that game. I kiss dating goodbye, as Josh Harris says. So literally, I walk in there, we sit down, the class starts. Are y'all still with me? You still, you're still tracking? You want to hear the rest of the story? Here's what happens. This will be a little different today, obviously. But here's what happens. I'm sitting there, and the Sunday school teacher says, we've been praying for over a year that God would bring us somebody who could lead worship and play a guitar. And I'm going, that's me. First Sunday there. And I just said, um, his name was Dale. I said, I play guitar and I lead worship. He didn't know me from anybody. He goes, well, would you, would you bring your guitar next week and lead us? They didn't have anything. hundred people there, nothing. I said, yeah, I'll bring my guitar next week. So the next week, I showed up by myself. Because <laughs> my boys did not show up. They stood me up. And all week, God had been working on my heart. All week, God had been, I just had been just, I ran back to God. Let me tell you something. If you're here today and you're away from him right now, and you're in that awkward place where you feel like, ah, I've messed up, I've made some mistakes. Hey, welcome to the party, okay? We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. Listen, I might have made my mistakes, but somebody all dressed up looking all pious here gossiped last week. So we've all got stuff. So instead of just continuing to live in that, run back to him, run back to God. He's there and he will not reject you. He will not. He will embrace you. Run back to him. And so I ran back that all that week. I spent time in the word. I spent time, got my guitar out, started worshiping again, put together some songs. I show up at church the next week. And the week prior, the first week we were there, I saw this pretty blonde there. In a little red dress, and I went, wow. I mean, seriously, in that, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit reminded me why I was there. It was not for that. And I literally, I literally looked away. I was not even going to, no more, no investigation, nothing. And so literally, I completely trained myself on Dale while he taught the lesson, and church happened. Well, the next week, I show up with my guitar. I'm kind of early because I'm going to be leading the worship. I want to make sure I was set up and ready to go. So I set my little amp up. I've got my guitar, and I'm going to lead some worship. And so I'm sitting there, and very few people are there. It's before. And in walks, in walks this lady. But what had happened just prior that week is that while I was at the gym with my boys, she had walked into the gym in her gym stuff, and it was Annette. And I was like, okay, I'm not in church now. This is, this is the gym. I'm like, whoa, hello. And so I did what any guy would do. I went up to her, and I started talking about God in church. That's what any guy would do in a gym, Right? Because that's what I did. That's all. That was what was important to me. And I went right up to her and I said, look, hey, I saw you at church. And she had not seen me. But I said, I saw you at church. And, and uh, it's awesome. Being God amazing. I mean, just talk about the Lord. And then, and then in walked the guy that she was with at the gym. And I was like, see ya, you know. Because I, I wasn't in the game. I wasn't, I wasn't in that. Neither, neither was she. But literally, I'd made a commitment to Jesus that I was not going to play the game. And so I just introduced myself, and I didn't mean anything by it, literally. I was just like, hey, I saw you at church. It's awesome to see you. Because I didn't see a lot of people from church at the gym. And so I went about my business. She went about her, hers. Then this next week when I showed up to lead worship, I'm sitting there. Guess who walks in? And she walks up to me, and she says, is anybody sitting here? I said, no, ma'am. And she sat down beside me. And from that moment on, we were never apart again, ever. Let me tell you. I'm skipping stuff because I know I don't want to bore you to death. But we never dated until after we were married. We spent time together, but we didn't date 
We didn't go out to movies. We didn't go out to do stuff because all that was a distraction. What we wanted to do was spend time getting to know each other, getting to know each other's heart. We sat, and what I loved about this situation is that there was no pretense. First of all, we had both made a commitment to Jesus not to date apart from each other. I didn't know it. She didn't know it. But when we met, we're like, we're not into this. So we sit down at Taco Villa for our first little conversation, which is right across the church, the street from the church. Wasn't a date. It was a Coke. So we sit down at Taco Villa, and we're just straight with each other. You know, we're, we're just like, no pretense. We're not playing games. This is who I am. This is who she is. And I mean, literally, from that moment on, we were never apart again. We hadn't been apart in 18 years. So we've been remarried 18 years. It has been the journey of my life and the joy of my life to be married to this woman for 18 years. And let me tell you, don't tell me God doesn't redeem and God doesn't restore. Don't tell me God can't mend the broken heart. Don't tell me God can't repair the breach in the wall. Don't tell me God can't can't bring life back to that which you thought would never have life again. God redeems, restores, and renews. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, we'll finish later on some other issues around that, but I want to share some things with you. I want to get to some things that will help you. Listen to this. I, I, I just call this the question of the hour, and it's this. The question of the hour is, which worldview will I embrace? Now, this is talking about relationships here. Which worldview will I embrace? A cultural worldview that says marriage is optional, that cohabitation is normal, and you should test drive many cars before you buy, or a biblical worldview that sees marriage as an institution ordained and blessed by God as a picture or metaphor of Christ, who's the groom, and the church, who is the bride. You have a choice to make. How are you going to view this relationship? If you're already married, you may need a proper perspective. Because it is possible to be married and have the wrong perspective. If you're not married, then it is possible that your worldview is not that which is based on the Word of God, but is based on what? On culture as you know it. Whether you realize it or not, like the tea bag in the picture I showed earlier in the cup, we are steeped in our culture. It's interesting because we don't even realize the impact of watching 27 hours a week a TV does on us. Or being on the internet 15 to 20 hours a week does to us. We don't even realize what we're taking in, what we're taking in, what we're taking in until we're faced with the decision of whether I'm going to sleep with her or not. And all of a sudden it's not such a big deal. Or whether I'm going to do this or do that, or whether I'm going to commit adultery to my wife, or whether I'm going to watch pornography or whatever. All of a sudden, those things, the barriers get broken down as we continue to steep ourselves in culture. When I was a youth minister, we had a saying back in the 80s and 90s, Gigo, garbage in, garbage out. And it's an old cliche, but it's the truth that that which we take in on a constant basis will begin to shape the way we think, and unfortunately, it will begin to shape the way we act. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, the Scripture says. And so that question remains is, are you going to build your life on a biblical worldview, or are you going to build your entire life perspective on a cultural worldview? You're going to default either way. And as Rush put it, to not make a decision or to not make a choice, you've still made a choice. If you choose not to decide, you have still made a choice. Because you will be impacted and affected by that which you're around. Amen? That which you steep yourself in. Talk a little bit about relationships. When the issue isn't the issue, men really are from Mars and women really are from Venus. We really are from two different planets. Dr. Gray had it right. I remember getting that book, and we, it was the mid-90s, and that book was real popular. It came out, and it was really profound, and yet it was very simple. And basically, he was saying what we already knew <laughs> intuitively, and that is that we speak different languages. We see different things, and we hear different things. And I, I put down a couple of things. I want you to look up on the screen with me. And women see the world, and we're just going to use this as an example, through pink shades. 
In other words, everything they see is colored or shaded in pink. Now, here's the deal. They can't help it. It's not their fault that they see pink. It's how God wired them. Men, on the other hand, see life through blue shades. They can't help it. They just do. They're wired to see blue. That's the way it is. In fact, I want to show you something. I brought with me a couple of things. And, 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 and here's the deal. If I try to see through Annette's shades. These are Annette's, by the way. If I try to see life through her shades, first of all, it looks weird. It feels weird. And everything will look different for me, but I still cannot get her perspective, no matter how hard I try. I can do the best I can, but I, all of a sudden, everything's shaded different than what I know and what I'm used to. Because I am wired to see blue. And if I try to look through pink shades, everything is different. And it will not say to me the same thing it says to her. Now, those are hers. I've got mine. Now, when I put my shades on, it's like all of a sudden, oh, life is normal. This is how it's supposed to look. Now, this is, oh, now that's comfortable right there. Now, that feels good. Now, these fit like a glove. And everything's nice and blue. And this is the world as I see it. Men, you see in blue. Women, you see in pink. It's not your fault and it's not bad. It just is. Not good, not bad, just is. Say that with me. Not good, not bad, just is. One more time. Not good, not bad, just is. That is the way it is. And that is how we see things. Now, I want to share something with you because when we talk about this, from the men's perspective, men need respect. From the woman's perspective, she needs love. And when either one of those are withheld, then the other gets withheld. Now, I'll show you how this works. In fact, in the 1960s, a song came out. Let's go ahead and bring that up, Randall. A song came out called R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And that was by who? Aretha, let's bring Aretha up. I want to show you this. This is this is a video from 1990. Come on now.
All right, give it up for Aretha. Come on. Miss Aretha, she's awesome. Oh, there's Oprah, too. There we go. That was 1990. Now, that song came out. She released it in 1967. And all she wanted was a little respect, right? That's what the whole song is about, her wanting respect. And it's interesting because that song was responsible and fueled into a women's movement that began to gain a lot of momentum when all of a sudden women were beginning to declare, I want some respect. Now, here's the problem with that. Women are not designed and wired to need respect. They're designed and wired to need love. They need to be cherished. Now, respect, obviously, I mean, talking about it in just in terms, I mean, yes, of course, everybody needs to be respected. But but what's at the core and what they need is not respect. Now, it's interesting because that woman became a, I mean, that song became a, 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 like, a, like a slogan, a banner for the women's movement. But the problem is, is that that song was not written by a woman. That song was actually written by Otis Redding, recorded and released in 1965, two years earlier. You need to learn something about your roots, Crystal. <laughs> So two years earlier, listen to me, come back to me. Two years earlier, Otis Redding had spent time and he was frustrated in his relationship. And out of his own relationship with his wife and out of his own frustration, he penned these words. I need a little respect. So you need to go back to listen to that song again with a different because it was actually a man saying this is what I need. Because had it been written by a woman, it would have been a whole different song. It would have been about love. Because that's really what she needs. And you need to understand that we as men need respect. Now, the core of respect is honor. Women need love. And the core of love is to be cherished. And though they may seem to be the same thing, there's a nuance and different nuances to each one. So as a woman looks at her world, all things are pink. As a man looks at his world, all things are blue. And understand this about men. Respect is a man's deepest value. Deepest value. Those that are in public service, whether it be a firefighter. My dad was a firefighter in, in, in the early years. Or whether you're a police officer, whether you're in the military, your military personnel. It comes back down to honor and respect. And that'll tell you whenever we're out and I see somebody in, in uniform, I'll just go, hey, thank you for what you're doing. What is that? It's respect. It's honor. Thank you. Thank you for what you do for us. And men need it. Now listen to this. Respect is a man's deepest value. The most destructive force to a man's heart, vitality, and capacity to love is contempt. Go with me. Look, Esther 1.18. Look, at, we have the scripture up here. You need to understand something that in this time, there was a revolt, yet again, a withholding of love and a withholding of respect. The crazy cycle was happening right here. It says, This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. This was a cultural phenomenon that happened in this time that as the queen modeled it, then those ladies below her took that up as well, and they held their husbands, their men, in contempt. And it destroyed a kingdom. Now listen to this. I want to give you the definition of contempt. It's this. It's the feeling that a person is beneath consideration. God, I can just feel the pain in that. Worthless or deserving scorn. Let me tell you something. If you are a man and you have been disrespected, you know exactly what that feels like. And it's interesting because a lot of times we men can get very defensive and very frustrated. And, hey, I need some respect. I need some R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I need it. I need a little respect. And yet what we don't realize is that we've been withholding what she needs, love. When we withhold what she needs and when we are 
fueling our own needs, our own desires, our own stuff, our own hobbies, our own interests. And when everything in the world comes before her, then all she sees is that we don't love her. And then she withholds the one thing that we need, and that is respect. And what happens is, is now you're in a vicious cycle. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who started it. Once that cycle starts, it's a difficult thing to break. When what both of you need the most is being withheld. Respect and love. And so one of the things that we're going to have to do is begin to understand how do I see through her glasses? and How can she see through mine? So I want to take and just make it real for real life. Break it down to simple things right here. Number one, be aware that he or she is speaking a different language, hearing a different sound, and seeing a different color, even if you're saying the same thing. Even if you're saying the same thing, looking at the same thing, hearing the same thing, it is coming through different filters. Annette and I, as we've grown 18 years, we are still learning this. And when we have lapses, a couple of weeks ago, can I tell this? Is it okay? Is this good? All right, I'm going to. No, this is good because it was my fault. So, yeah, she's like, God, go for it. Good story. A couple of weeks ago, we're getting ready to go somewhere. And Annette's, you know, she's dressing up and, and she always looks good. And, and, but, but she always asks me, how does this look? Every man just felt that, didn't you? You know exactly. And so here's what I've done. Because she is very beautiful, I tend to not really give her a good look. You know, I'll go, I'll go, that looks great. And then I continue shaving and doing whatever, getting ready. Yeah, I'm just, but because she always looks good. But so I, I did, I just glanced over and said, oh, yeah, that looks great. Well, we're going through, you know, our, our routine, getting ready. And I look over and I realize it doesn't look so great. And she's always telling me, I just want you to be honest. How many men know that's a setup? This is when it becomes a lose-lose proposition. Now, she had not told me that this morning because I had already given my approval. I'd already given it the stamp. Yep, looks great. Go for it. And then I changed my mind because I gave her a close look and realized, hmm, that doesn't work. You would think after 18 years. But I kept hearing her say, please be honest. I want you to be honest. So I thought, I'm going to be honest. So I just, I, 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 again, remember what color glasses I'm wearing. I, I, I'm looking over there, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I better do this right or this won't work. But I, I, I looked over and then actually paused to look instead of just doing my own thing. And I look over and go, oh, mm, you know what? That, that really doesn't work. I thought the way I said it was good, could be received. Because I wasn't saying she didn't worry. I was saying that doesn't really work. I must say, I, I might as well have taken a grenade and pulled the pin. Because all of a sudden, shrapnel. I'm like, here's the guy response. What did I do? What did I say? And I mean, literally, it was on. I mean, it was on. I mean, escalate, 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 pull out old stuff, repeat, remember 10 years ago. I mean, it was like, some of y'all know where I'm going. I mean, I'm like, I'm, and I have a bad memory, so I can't win that one ever. I just don't remember stuff. And she's like, Bruh. She's got a random access file that's amazing. It'll beat my Mac any day. And she's pulling out stuff. And, I'm like, and I mean, I'm like on the ropes. I'm just going down. But here's the deal. I still have the gall and the nerve to try to defend myself. Now, remember, this is a lose deal. I mean, you never win at this point. 
But what is it about men that we still got to fight? It's this instinct to survive. Yeah, you know you're wrong, Angel says. And, but here's the deal. Because I was seeing this moment with these glasses on. And through my perspective, I did exactly what she asked me to do. I was honest. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm bringing it around, baby. Give her a microphone. <laughs> anyway, that, that whole scenario did not end well. We both walk off. We're getting ready, and it's cold. It's icebox in the house now. I mean, it's, it's cold. There's icicles dripping off the door, the TV. The, I mean, it's, just, it's cold. I mean, you can see your breath in my house. It was before week one. It was that morning. So I even had the stupidity to say, well, I knew the devil was going to do this. <laughs> like, I'm blaming the devil. I'm blaming Satan for my stupidity. Well, you know, the devil, that's how we guys do it. We get all spiritual, right? Now, every woman hates me at this moment. Now, let me redeem myself. So I do what any man does. I go to my cave. That means I got to get away. I got I to think. I got I to fix this. I got I to come up with a solution here. This is a guy thing. So I go away, and it dawns on me that what I'm about to preach on, I have not done. And that is, I did not love her. And the way I did not show love to her was that I didn't look the first time. I just assumed she looked great because she always does. But when I really looked, I realized my mistake. And then when I brought it up, it was too late. I missed my moment. So I crawled back into the bedroom, (laughs) sniveling and groveling. I said, honey, I was wrong. And, and I, but I, I mean, it's not just, I'm sorry. It's literally, I need to tell you why I was wrong. And I said, here's what happened. I said, I didn't look the first time because I was busy. And I didn't take the time. I just assumed you looked great. And I said, I'm, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Now, let me tell you what I didn't say to my wife. I need you to forgive me. I want you all to listen at how that sounds. I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. You you hear how selfish and how egotistical that moment is? So instead, I said, Annette, would you forgive me? You hear the difference? And she said, yes. And then I walked in here and we had a great morning. (laughs) I was like... Lord. Now, I tell that story not just to show you how stupid I can still be after 18 years of marriage. I tell you that story to say, this happens. This is real. And we live in a world where, guys, we don't mean to, but we do. We don't mean to. But the the critical key here is to understand that we do see things differently. Now, let let me give you the next two points. Have the worship team make their way up. It will take a Christ follower. I want you to listen to this point. Look up on the screen. It will take a Christ follower who is absolutely submitted to the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit in order to walk by the Spirit concerning their mate, friend, co-worker, or family member of the opposite sex. Listen, God has allowed us to be natural people, but He has called us to be supernatural people. Listen. He will allow us to be natural, but he's called us to a higher calling, and that is to be supernatural, which means we leak out or bear the fruit of the Spirit, which are these things. Go ahead and show those. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, this is what the produce of God's Spirit in us produces outside of us. Does that make sense? It's the produce, the fruit. It's love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says, against such things, there is no law. That is what happens when we are controlled by the Spirit. We bear the produce of the Spirit. 
And that is what we are called to do and be. Do I believe that any two Christians can work it out? I do. And I've been through a divorce, and I'm still hanging on to that belief that it can be, that it can be done. But it takes two to tango. And it takes two willing to walk at this level. Last thing. Marriage can be summed up in this statement by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That is exactly what Jesus calls us to do. To die to that self, that carnal, that banal instinct that says it's all about me. To die to that to say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. Look at the scripture here in Matthew. For whoever wants to save his life. In other words, the harder you hang on to your position, the harder you hang on to what is yours and what you think you're entitled to, your rights, the harder you hang on to it. Look at what it says. He who wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it that is what we're called to do we could get into a lot of nuances about marriage but let me just suffice it to say this at the end of the day you and i when we talk about mutual submission it's mutual dying and trusting that what god resurrects in us will be so amazing and so incredible that two people that see life through different color glasses and hear through different, different filters and, and experience things in different ways will be able to come together under one roof and make something amazing happen. Not just tolerating each other, not just putting up with, not just becoming roommates for life, but literally becoming one flesh, the Scripture says. That's what we're called to do and be. And when many are living like roommates, God says, no, there's a better way. And that your marriage can reflect what Christ is to the church and what the church is to Christ, the groom and the bride. That's what we're called to, folks. Amen? Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, in Jesus' name, your word is true. Your life is true. It's real. I pray for every person in this room. Father, we have relationships on so many different levels, not just marriages, friendships, co-workers, church family, life groups, friends, extended family members and family members. Father, give us grace. Help us understand this simple truth that we see things differently. And give us grace for one another. Give us patience for one another. Give us a, a love and a respect that, that goes beyond natural to the supernatural. Your word even says that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So God, we need your help. Every person in here, it doesn't matter if you're married or not, or if, even if you're looking at marriage, this, these relational dynamics transcend and affect every relationship you have. Give us grace, Lord. Grace for one another. Father, I pray for every person here. I ask that this would become revelation knowledge, understanding that they would be able to comprehend this simple truth, that we see things different because you made us different. That instead of fighting the differences and disdaining the differences, that we would learn to celebrate that which is different. Lord, as we continue to venture through this series, Lord, speak to us, teach us what it means to truly love, what it means to truly respect one another. I do pray for families, for your peace that passes all understanding, that would literally guard hearts and minds. And Lord, we give you our lives. We submit to you first as we submit to one another. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen.